Hello, Hollywood Chop Shop. This is Brett speaking. Brett, listen, listen carefully. I don't have much time to talk. Oh, Jesus. What now? Just, just listen carefully. I'm currently hiding in Stephanie's closet. Uh, her husband cut his business trip short, and uh, he's in the house. Oh, man. That sounds like Gritty City. I thought you were done with the married women, man. Listen, listen. You can give me the lecture later, but right now I really need your help. My help? Your help, okay? Her husband, he loves Lexus, and I know he would drop everything to come by the shop and see that convertible we've been working on. You mean the Infinity Convertible? Okay, okay. That could work. You know what? Maybe I could just, uh, I could even take him for a, a quick spin. Infinity, Lexus, Ford, Ferrari, who gives a fuck? But yes, a, t a test drive would be a, a great idea. Just, just get over here. <laughs> yeah, hell, he's a nice enough guy. Maybe we can even grab a couple pops together, you know? Yes, yes, yes. Now that's that's what that's the spirit. Anything that gets him out of the house. Oh, absolutely, of course. Hell, I can just drive the Lexus or the Infinity over there and pick him up right now. Uh, Lexus Infinity again. Take a bicycle over. Uh, just just get over here and uh, uh, I, I cannot tell you how much this means to me. How long do you think it's going to take before you get here? Oh, sorry, Travis. Cannot take. But we can review Three Kings. Four soldiers occupying Iraq in the aftermath of the Persian Gulf War embark on a heist to enrich themselves with gold Saddam stole from Kuwait. What should be a quick mission spirals out of control after the band of bandits witness the brutal murder of an Iraqi rebel at the hands of Saddam's remaining forces. Feeling compelled to do the right thing, the soldiers must now put their bouillons on the line to help escort a group of displaced refugees to the Iranian border. Will our four heroes cash in on their scheme, or will we be left wondering what was the point? We are your Cinemechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana, and today we are reviewing the 1999 hit, Three Kings. Travis, go ahead and give me your quick diagnostic. What did you think of the movie? Uh, in your intro there, are you talking about the little cubes you put in soup? Uh, no, uh, we're talking about gold bars, Travis. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, no, I, uh, I, I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Um, I, I remember liking it when it, uh, was new and, uh, you know, to me, the Gulf war is my favorite war to see on film because really not much actually happened during the war. Uh, so the stories in those movies always tend to skew. It, it's not just a war film. Uh, like I'm thinking of Jarhead as well, but I like that this movie uses a war as its backdrop, but is really kind of a heist comedy action. Like, I I don't know what you would classify this as genre-wise, but uh, I really liked it. What about you? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely like a, a dark comedy. I, I don't even know if I would go so far to call it a heist movie because I think it plays so little um, into, into the movie which we'll get into that because uh, that, that's going to be a fun discussion in and of itself but it's definitely I think kind of a, a dark comedy kind of action adventure um, type movie I also very much enjoyed it it's one of those that I saw this movie probably when it first came out and had very little understanding of what was happening in the movie so it was it was fun to go back to it after having you know years of watching movies and kind of reviewing them and, and analyzing them to go back and, and watch this movie um, it is a lot of fun I will say, I, 
I do think it's a little too long. Um, or I don't even know if it's too long or if it just felt too long. Like, um, again, to say I, I did deeply enjoy this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. But I do know that there was definitely a certain part in the movie where I'm like, is that like, when is this going to wrap up? Like, I'm I'm about ready for this movie to be done. Um, and I'm trying to remember it, it, exactly. It might have been right about the time that uh, that Troy, Mark Wahlberg's character, is is captured. And uh, it's the first time he's brought to the the stronghold with uh where he gets tortured that might have been where i'm like uh-huh. okay i'm 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 kind of leaning towards i'm i'm ready for the movie to kind of to wrap itself up especially because having watched it before i knew what still had to happen i was like fuck we still have to get through like three more set pieces i'm like I'm like when the fuck is this wrapping up yeah i think because i had really the same note uh because i watched the movie you know literally before we got on to record and i know we have you know we have previously agreed on a certain time and i'm like looking at my watch like uh i didn't remember this movie being this long i thought i might actually be late for the podcast because yeah for me i think it was later in the movie that i felt the length hey yo uh (laughs) <laughs> I'm such a child. Uh, was probably around the time uh, when they take the the cars and and pretend like Saddam's coming to kill everyone. Mm-hmm. I'm like, damn, there is still quite a bit left because he uh, Troy's got to get the the valve in his heart and all yeah. that shit, and they still got to walk him across. And I'm like, yeah, this movie could use maybe 15 to 20 minutes trimmed somewhere. Definitely, I honestly think a lot of it is the the reporter. Like when, uh, what is it, Bolo takes her out to the field and she cries about the pelicans and all that shit. Like, there's a lot, I felt like, with the reporter's character that she didn't, aside from the fact that you needed her for the end to get them out of trouble, there wasn't a lot that justified her as a character. Like, nobody grew off of her. She didn't grow. I wasn't sure if she was just put in there as to, to put commentary or something like that. You know, is it one of these things where, like, she was kind of a meta representation of the director, especially when she goes in like, you know, I didn't call, you know, get on my knees and this, that and the other. Like anytime I hear a, especially like a creative or like a, a film person, a character like that in the film, I'm like, are they trying to like put themselves in the movie? Like, And I hate when people do that shit, because like I said, I just don't think I don't think that the the reporter, her character gave much to the story as a whole. No, I, I definitely agree. I think she is a walking plot device that is needed for the end of the movie. You know, it's her coverage that allows the them to not get court-martialed or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's funny, the person that I was watching the movie with, she instantly was like, oh, she's going to be needed by the end of the movie in her little dune buggy. And, yep, that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. So I, I will say, I don't know if, what is it, David? I forget the director's full name. David O. David Russell. O. Russell. I don't know if he has something against the army or like this was supposed to be like a political piece for him or what, but like he definitely has a message to say that the army is basically, it's comprised of jaded assholes or idiots who are in it for the money. Like it's not one of those like typically when you see like a World War II movie or something like that, it's about like, you know, people standing together to to fight, you know, the oppressive forces, you know, the, the Axis parties and stuff like that. And it's all about honor and, and doing the right thing. With the army in the Gulf War, he's basically like, I mean, they very plainly say most of the characters are there because they wanted extra money. Like, they did not give a fuck about representing the U.S. The war meant nothing to them. Like, the movie starts off with them being confused as to, like, what protocol is, what they should and shouldn't be doing. Um, and, and Mark Wahlberg winds up killing somebody who's trying to surrender. And it's like, 
through throughout the entire movie, even when they're trying to locate where the four, you know, the three kings, our four main characters are, like you see the Humvees and the the armored personnel yes. trucks going by as they're trying to locate it, and it's like they're just completely oblivious as to what's happening. Like it's just they really. I feel like he just takes a huge dump on on the army and how unorganized. At least it was during the Gulf War. Yeah, it, it, it comedically it works. I mean, the scene you just described where the the cavalcade of vehicles is leaving the base as they're actively talking about where they should look. It, it, it it's quite funny when it's done, but it, David O. Russell, that it's it's heavy handed. I mean, Brett, do you think do you think it was about oil? Do you think maybe there's a little bit of an oil motif in this movie? <laughs> You know, it's not like they they dump it directly down your throat or anything. <laughs> yeah, that that definitely that definitely doesn't happen at all. Um, no, it's it's interesting to me because the movie is a, so to give a little bit honestly, well we'll we'll jump into this now. So some of the background of this movie I think is actually more interesting than the movie itself, like the trivia about it being made. But like one of the big things is like. Um, David David Russell he basically steals credit for this this script from John Ridley who wrote it basically as a as a heist movie as a military heist movie according to John Ridley it was an exercise for him to see how quickly he could write a script and get it sold and apparently he like wrote it in seven days and sold it in eighteen um, and then after he you know David. Russell bought it he basically like gutted the thing and the only thing he really kept at its core was that there was a heist in the movie but he completely took John Ridley off of writing credit for it and then apparently there was a huge dispute between them that actually went into a legal battle with John Ridley because he said he deserved to get credit for writing at least part of the script you know and so now, if you look on IMDb, it's John Ridley is credited for writing the story and David Russell is credited for the screenplay. Um, and even David Russell, of course, in his asshole ways, makes a comment. He goes, I don't know. I didn't steal anything. The only thing that I kept was the was the, the heist. And that's the most boring part of the entire movie. And I'm like, that's kind of the core of the movie, though. <laughs> Regardless if you do a lot of stuff outside of that plot, like that's the whole thing that moves this movie forward is the heist. Now, in your research, were you able to get any details of what the Ridley script was? Uh, no, no more details than essentially it was just a, a heist movie, like trying to steal the gold from from Saddam. So I think the core of the movie was there. But beyond that, like, David, I think there's definitely like some racial undertones and like kind of i don't want to say anti-american but definitely like a hey look in the mirror america is not as beautiful and great as as you think it is yes um especially with like the whole michael jackson thing which is also funny so there's a whole like kind of dialogue where uh mark Wahlberg troy is being tortured and the guy who's torturing him is talking about like what it happened with michael jackson like he was you know basically can i can i interrupt you for one second uh -huh. The, the actor that you're talking about, he he takes this movie, puts it in his pocket, and walks away with oh, it, yeah. in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But sorry, continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that whole dialogue where he's talking, he's, you know, he's asking about Michael Jackson, like, why why would he straighten his hair and dye his skin and all that? And, and basically goes into the whole thing that America makes the black person, makes black people hate themselves the same way that America tries to to hate the the Iraqi people and all that and, and basically kind of almost like Zionism and stuff like that. 
Um, but it's just, it's very interesting. Um, but apparently, <laughs> I guess, I don't know what the original line was, but again, David O. Russell, um, apparently there was some comment about Michael Jackson being a pedophile and he had to sign legal documents saying that he would not put that into the film. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. You, There's a lot of really fun trivia about this movie. Well, <laughs> I, and when you said you had some trivia about the movie, you did not go to the immediate one, which is, from what I understand, George Clooney had to be restrained from fighting the director because David O. Russell is such a prick. Oh, it wasn't restrained. They actually did fight. They got into a physical oh. altercation at the second time George Clooney called him out for being a, uh, an asshole on set. I, I'm going to assume Clooney got the better of him because I, I looked at David O. Russell. I don't, it doesn't look like he could. He I could believe like really carry himself. George Clooney was kind of caught off guard, and at a certain point, like I think David Russell, I think David Russell had him by the throat. But eventually, the the fight got broken up. But um, it all came down to I guess David Russell was just being a total asshole and like like demeaning and humiliating people on set. And like this is the second time George Clooney was like, hey, like I understand like nerves are high like there's a lot going on it's been a big day but like you you can't treat people like that and apparently he had talked to him before about this and, and wrote him a letter and david o russell just basically came out swinging verbally first telling him that he that george clooney was being a dick and that he needed to do better acting and this that, and the other and then it ultimately resulted in the two of them getting into a, a physical alter altercation on set and then apparently david o russell pouted the rest of the the rest of the shoot yeah, I, we could probably spend the duration of the podcast just talking about how much of a piece of shit David O. Russell is. Um, I won't do that, but I, it, it blows my mind that people continually want to work with him because for my mind, uh, he hasn't made that many great movies. And um, when he filmed I Heart Huckabees, he literally made Lily Tomlin break down in tears and i believe there's footage of it out mm -hmm. there uh so why he continues to get the talent that he gets for some of his movies is is astonishing i, I think because again in doing some of the research for this movie i think it is because he gets to do that perfect in that venn diagram of art house film and like big budget he is one of the few directors that gets to play in that middle ground where he gets to do something a little avant-garde with a lot of money um, because even Three Kings, I was, I was reading Warner Brothers and all that, they were very concerned. This is the first time they were really letting somebody go out and do something a little different in a long time. And they were very concerned with the amount of money they were giving David O. Russell and what he was going to do with this movie, which came down to, again, uh, I guess Warner Brothers wanted the, the bull exploding scene and the scene of the woman being basically assassinated. Uh, the mother being killed. They wanted those removed from the movie, but I, I guess he was able to fight and keep those in. But um, I, I think he gets to play in this weird middle ground where like you can do something fun and different other uh, than, you know, the typical Hollywood blockbuster, but it's got a lot of money behind it. And that's all I can think of that attracts talent because especially in, in today's times, I'm surprised anybody would, would tolerate that, that level of, of abuse. Yeah, it, it it's interesting. One last thing on David O. Russell's, you know, attitude. It it amazes me that he's worked with Christian Bale on multiple occasions because I would love to know the interaction between those two. Apparently, he, something tells me David O. Russell's not going to talk shit to Christian Bale since Christian Bale is fully willing to verbally attack a guy for walking. 
uh, in the background of a scene. So apparently they might have gotten into it, not as bad as George Clooney, but uh, apparently uh, Christian Bale had to step in the middle because of how David O. Russell was uh, treating Amy Adams in American Hustle. Apparently he had to step in and be like, dude, you need to slow your roll. Like, you need to calm down. <laughs> so, Jesus Christ. So, yeah. Christian Bale did not sit idly by as he wa- either as he watched, you know, David Russell just completely go off on people. So, um, yeah, it's well, yeah, Dave- it, it's clear that, yeah, we don't like David O. Russell. <laughs> I, I he, he does a fine job directing, but he sounds like a miserable human being. Yeah. Um, so let's let's hit some specific things. What kind of stuff did you mostly appreciate about the movie? I think. In, in terms of script writing, and I guess this is when when you have a director who's this heavily involved in the process, um, like rewriting and all that, it is he knows exactly what he's going to shoot. He knows how he wants to shoot it and how the story wants to go. I think this is one of the, the tightest movies I have ever seen in terms of almost everything has a callback or a payoff. Like the whole conversation about Michael Jackson and race to me is queued up when the first time they raid the bunker and the, in the first village, they're watching police brutality on the little TV. Yeah, Rodney King. Yeah, yeah. They're watching that. Um, I, I have tons of examples of like basically where they set up and I, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to go so far as to say it's foreshadowing. Cause I think it's, it's not quite as heavy as foreshadowing, but it's definitely like it cues things up. Um, let me see. Well, I can think of an example of that maybe that you have in your notes as mm-hmm. well. I loved the the Nerf football yep. setup, e- even down to the fact that, again, playing on, uh, you know, the racial issues of this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what does Conrad say? Uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg's mad at Ice Cube. For, or you know, chief for not putting enough arc on the ball, and and Conrad comes in with this wild racist statement like it's nothing. It's like that's why blacks make better receivers than quarterbacks, and I'm just mm-hmm. like he just casually drops that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then at, you know, at, by the end of the movie, Chief is throwing that football and takes out the helicopter with it. So like stuff like that, that's that's an extra level of detail that yeah you don't get from you know a, a careless director. Yeah, absolutely. I, I did have that. Um, the airport, just the fact that you would have, you know, Ice Cube, his kid chief, you know, just very quickly state that he, you know, he's he works at an airport and then it, it calls back to when they have to pick out the luggage, like why he would know what what bags you can use, because that's something that I feel like you'd see in a lot of movies where a character like you can use these. They can carry 65 pounds. It's like, why the fuck would that character know that? But like, it's so many just like it's little, very tight things. Um you know, the, the, to the point where at one point, um, Archie, George Clooney's character, makes a comment about like they're going to be able to take the gold. No problem, because Saddam is only concerned with the rebels. And then at a certain point when they're taking the gold, somebody says, like, wait, you can't let them take the gold. And one of the guys says, no, 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 Saddam's way more concerned about the rebels. He doesn't give a shit about the gold. And you're like, it's little payoffs like that where I'm like, yes, it seems so easy. Like, oh, he just threw a, a throwaway line. But like to me, it just it makes it everything winds up being this tight little package where everything feeds into itself and nothing feels out of place. Everything feels like it was addressed at some point And it was again, little breadcrumbs for the audience to go through where if you're paying attention, you get this, this wonderful, like, you know, uh, shot through, um, the movie, even to the point where how, where Troy gets shot is 
is foreshadowed when they're going through the whole what's the worst kind of wound you could have like it's almost the exact same place that he actually does get shot later in the movie and it's just like there's so much and he's the one who gets shot even though archie is talking to conrad they use troy as you know the quote-unquote dummy or the example i'm like it's just again i think it is it is just a very very tight movie yeah, and, and this kind of tangentially relates to that. And one of my favorite things is when a movie gives a character a belief system or the way they approach life. And in this movie, I'm talking about uh, Archie's speech about necessity. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, I love that speech. What's the most important thing in life? Necessity. People will do whatever is most necessary for them at any given moment. But it's not just, a, oh, this is a cool line to throw in. It, it continuously gets brought back up because he, he kind of tells them, hey, the necessity has changed. Mm-hmm. But even the the solution of the, the, the movie is, hey, we know we have to give up the gold in order to accomplish this. It, at that moment, it, it is now necessary to give up the gold. So he he lives by that. It's not just a cool line of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And this necessity isn't necessarily his own self-preservation or even physically, because at a certain point, yes, he could have abandoned the rebels in that village like Troy wanted to, but in order for him to remain, have his morals and his conscience, he, it was necessary for him to step in, you know? And even to the point there, it's like, he's like, it, don't shoot. We don't need to be shooting because, again, it was not necessary to start a war. What was necessary was to reunite the 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 man and the girl with with the dead mother. Yeah, and I think he literally tells Conrad no unnecessary shooting, mm-hmm. like literally uses the word necessity. So uh, I, I just like that um, thematically that held through. Um uh, so, yeah, and, and again, I, I don't like David O. Russell, but that's his attention to detail, and, and I have to respect that. I, I really enjoyed just the acting period. Um, I thought everybody did a fantastic job. The only person that I, I had questions about, and this is a weird thing where I said, I cannot tell if Ice Cube is playing, is like just, he's kind of a, at this point in time, he would have been very new to acting, and I can't tell if he's just, not necessarily doing a good job or if he's doing this perfectly and like it's that weird line where i'm like i literally can't tell if this is perfect or if it's if it's not right um with with his his acting but i absolutely loved him in the movie so it's like it's one of those things where i have to lean towards he was just playing that character perfectly because if i had had major issues with it i could have easily been like i just don't think ice cube was a good was a good actor but um he was compelling in the movie i i mean he was ice cube but you know yeah, and of all four people, you know, the four soldiers that you mentioned in the intro, to me, he seemed the most morally sound. Like, he, he seemed like he was the best person of the group. He's got that Jesus ring, dude. Yes. And, like, I don't know, he just seemed to be a very empathetic person. Because, uh, I mean, uh, when they, I, I guess right after the gas attack and they're all praying, he's kind of participating in the prayer. Um, he, even though he should fucking hate Conrad and just tell him to shut mm-hmm. the fuck up at every turn, he actively tries to educate Conrad at times. Well, like legitimately, like I, he doesn't insult him. He's just like, you're ignorant and, and tries to educate him when he can tolerate it. Well, and even to that point, it goes back to your man with a code. His code, he says it in the movie. 
Jesus, you know, God puts something in front of me and that's what I have to take care of is what God puts in front of me. So like he doesn't do it begrudgingly. It's just whatever's in front of him to the point where it could be Conrad being an ignorant piece of shit or it could be, you know, $23 million worth of gold. Whatever has been put in front of him, he's going to take care of. That's his code, you know? Uh, so again, just even the characters are, are very... There's no character in this movie where I'm just like, what an obnoxious piece. Even Conrad plays a very specific point. And I think it is, Conrad is very much the, how the world views the U.S. Um, you know, he's he's got the revolver, which makes no fucking sense for him to be carrying around. Yes. But makes complete sense for his character be, to be carrying around. Um, he's kind of ignorant. He's constantly trying to show off for somebody else. Um you know, uh, yeah, what did, what did I have right here? He, he, you know, American, uneducated, gun-toting, loud, and constantly trying to look cool is who Conrad is, and that is very much how, you know, the world, excuse me, kind of views the the U.S. Yeah, and I mean, you know, some of that is justified, I would say, but even Conrad, I, I really, he could have easily just been... Uh, comedic relief and and that would have been fine but even conrad there's certain scenes where the emotion of the character when he, after he punches ice cube and he apologizes to ice cube like that was it was childlike in its sincerity mm -hmm. you know he was just like you know and ultimately he's just worried about troy like he really i mean it clearly loves Troy, and and I thought it was a. Uh, I hated to see him die, but just the way that they go out with, he's looking into Troy's eyes. Like for Conrad, there, if he had to die, there was no better way to go. And again, Travis, it comes back to like you said, he's a man with a code. His code was Troy. Whatever it took to be with Troy to take care of Troy, Troy was his code. And even to the point where like you almost wonder could could Conrad have survived his injuries had had Troy not gotten shot? And was it Conrad sacrificing himself so that everybody could focus on Troy and his problem instead of having to divide their attention between the two of them? Because I don't know that much about shoulder shots, but I just feel like that the way they described his injury was not one of those where I would have expected him to die that quickly on the ground like that. You know, it wasn't like he was shot through the chest. Like it was his, you know, I think he, they described it or through the throat like the kid at the beginning of the movie, like he was shot through the shoulder through and through. And it wasn't even like the toxic thing got him. Like I legitimately believe that that was meant to be basically that was Conrad sacrificing himself so that Troy could live. Now you mean just thematically, like the character had no sort of conscious involvement in that, but that's just kind of the, what the story is yes, telling you. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, no, and that fits in it. It's crazy like you said, every every main character in this movie has a code. And like even like you said, the reporter, she's not going to get on her knees for a story. That's a code that she lives by. So uh, really didn't actively notice it while watching it. But then you think about it back. And yeah, like characters are very defined in their motivations and, and stay true to themselves. What's interesting, too, is I, I loved George Clooney in this movie. I thought he did phenomenal as Archie to the point where I couldn't imagine anyone else playing that character did you know george clooney was pretty low on the list of, of people to get that that role um from the beginning david david o russell did not want to work with him 
I, I, which is weird because I've never heard a bad thing about George Clooney. Mm-hmm. I mean, I go, I know acting wise, he wasn't as proven as he would later become, but I mean, this was post from dust till dawn. So, you know, so it feels like he had established himself well enough. I don't know why, who did, do you know who David O. Russell wanted before him? Here's a list of people he could not get before he had to, to settle for George Clooney. Oh, shit. He wrote okay. the role for Clint Eastwood, which is weird because Clint Eastwood would have been pretty old, as old and, yeah, at, at this I mean, time. He, he was in Unforgiven eight years prior playing an old broken down man, and you're going to have him still be in the army? Yeah. Okay. His, his next line was Mel Gibson, Nicolas Cage, Jack Nicholson, and Dustin Hoffman. He had all of those above George Clooney. Oh my God, this movie would be totally different. Oh, it would It'd be, be a totally so... different movie. Yeah. George and Clooney's just, charisma just... is one of the things that drives this movie. Him, him, all of them have great, but I'm like, his specific charisma is very different than Wahlberg or Ice Cube. I mean, just, I could not imagine any of those other actors playing Archie. No, I mean, did you say, I, did you say Dustin Hoffman? Yeah. Dude, Nicolas Cage. How would Nicolas Cage have done this? Jack Nicholson, all of these all of these people are very, very different than George Clooney, which I guess is, so George Clooney had had a, a comment about this too, because um, I guess uh, Clooney was a little tense during the filming and all that. And his, his quote was, there's an element of David that was very, uh, that was in way over his head. He was vulnerable and selfish and it would manifest itself in a lot of yelling. God, I love George Clooney. I mean, <laughs> and I mean, there are certain movies uh, that have characters where every guy watching it's like, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like, I wish I could be Archie Gates for a day. Uh huh. Like that. That's how, you know, uh, they've nailed a character. And yeah, any of those other actors, I I cannot imagine them reciting any of his dialogue and coming off it. Of, cool in any way so so prior to this to to george clooney's comment prior to this movie david l russell had uh, filmed flirting with disaster three years prior that starred ben stiller and he he wanted a clint eastwood jack nicholson does he wanted legends of cinema as he was going because at this point everybody knows who george clooney is now but at this point george clooney was pretty much known for er like he was still a TV actor at that point. Like he hadn't really like made any kind of breakout, you know? Yeah. I, he was, he was not on ER by 99. Was he? Oh, uh, I'm pretty sure he, he was here. I'll, I'll double check that. But no, I, I think at that point, um, cause when he, he wrote a letter to David O. Russell asking to be in the movie and he signed it, George Clooney TV actor. So this is going to be fun <laughs> trying to get back to. OK, so in 99, he was in Three Kings before he in 98. He did Thin, or Thin Red Line. Um, I'm sure from Dusk Till Dawn was 96. I don't know. When did he when was I believe he he's in about 10 minutes of Thin Red Line. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he had not been an established movie actor at the time. Well, I mean, he had done Batman and Robin. Oh, which yeah, isn't, then I would say... That's a knock against him, but yeah. Yeah, but it's still the Batman franchise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the one that ruined it. <laughs> so, but 
Wow, yeah, no, this might have been right right about the time that, that George Clooney was peaking. Because right after this, 2000 was failsafe. Uh, oh, Brother, We're Out Thou, The Perfect Storm. All three of those were 2000 movies. 2001, he did Ocean's Eleven. Um, and then he kind of takes a little bit of a break from decent movies. So, but yeah, this is this probably would have been right about the time that he was really starting to make a name for himself as a movie actor. Yeah, so he was on the first six seasons of ER, and ER started in '94. So this literally would have been he had one year left on ER. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, so. I know you mentioned the acting across the board, and I know I mentioned briefly the uh, Iraqi soldier who I said kind of steals the movie uh, in the few scenes that he's in. But, man, I know we talked about him. I'm surprised that Spike Jones hasn't done more acting. I mean, maybe he just doesn't particularly enjoy it, but I thought he was great. I don't know what kind of range he has, Uh but— I did too. I I also thought he was the rapper in the scene when they're walking through the village on there's like the, the French rap song. I thought they did it as like some kind of juxtaposition where it's like it's supposed to be the American culture being brought into Iraq and all that was not him. But I do have to say it sounded just like because I had to look it up because like, like, did they get him to, to do a track? I'm like, that's impressive that like, again, this whole idea of like the American soldiers kind of bringing in American culture and all that stuff. But like, nope, that wasn't. That wasn't it at all. So, yeah, uh, funny that you say that Uh, again, the person that I was watching the movie with the first like five seconds, like, is that also we were talking about Spike Jones and she's like, is that also him rapping? And I was like, I don't know. It does sound like it. So it's weird that you had that exact same thought. So it looks like uh, Spike Jones uh, moved to directing is why he hasn't been acting in much. Yeah, I know he directed mm. uh, Being John Malkovich, I think, most famously. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I Yeah, I thought he was he was really good in this. So especially as a kind of redneck who, you know, shoots stuff outside of his trailer. Yeah, that I love that scene, too. <laughs> I don't really have a day job. Part time jobs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh. oh, that's a that's a that's a good Spike Jones impression. Oh, thank um, you. That's Spike Jones so doing he, an impression of an American hick. <laughs> <laughs> um, any any other positive stuff you want to hit on? Yeah, I absolutely. I uh, movies get me when they with with a good juxtaposition and music direction. And I don't want to say soundtrack because I feel like soundtrack is the is the wrong terminology. I love when a movie uses music intelligently it's not just a background noise or it's not just like you know like we were talking about not too long ago with the faculty where it felt like oh this was supposed to be synergies between companies we're like hey we need this song like it's going to be on the radio put it in there like i love when the beach boys come on and they're rolling into the village i thought was a fantastic song the french song that i was just talking about as they're walking through like the way they shot that i thought was fantastic the use of jazz when they are first invading or they're first sieging the vault to get the gold i thought was thematically perfect because the whole thing of jazz is it's it's improv right it's not it's not a plan or anything like that. So they had the plan up into getting to the vault. And then once they got into the vault to find the gold, everything was improv, improv. you know, everything was trying to figure out, okay, what do we do next? Uh, open this door. What's behind this door and all this. I'm like, I thought the usage of jazz with that was fantastic. I was like, I was very, I was like, 
this is perfect. Like, it feels almost out of place because there's no jazz anywhere else in the movie. But I'm like, no, it's perfect because of where we are right now. Like, this is in their minds. This is exactly how things would be playing out, even to the point where it's it's kind of optimistic. Like, it's not like it's fun and kind of kitschy and all that. Again, where we're, this is the heist part of the movie. You're like, so it's like there's no imminent danger or anything like that. It's just kind of fun watching them figure it out and, and get to the goal. And like I did, I absolutely loved the use of jazz when when they discover the gold. Yeah, and it helps also kind of preserve that sense of chaos and just kind of got to move, got to keep moving, got to go quick, uh, which is the vibe they obviously had. And yeah, just back to the Beach Boys point you made, too. I really enjoyed in this movie and when movies do it in general, when, you know, Mark Wahlberg's even singing along with it at one point when it's not actually playing yet. Yeah, he, um, he's the transition so yeah. into it. Yeah, no. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep. No, yeah, fantastic. So I, I really, really enjoyed that. Like I said, it's just, again, I, I think the whole thing, it goes back to, again, this movie being very tight. Like, I feel like everything in this movie was done with intent. And you go back and, like I said, when you look at it, there was no part in this movie where I'm like, I didn't understand a character's motivation or I was like, what the fuck going on? What, what was this? And like, to me, this is the perfect example of like, I bet you David O. Russell had this entire movie mapped out and basically sketched out in his mind or whatever, or even, you know, actually on paper before he started shooting, he knew every beat of this movie before he ever stepped behind a camera. And it shows I mean, because there's, yeah. there's no part where it feels like, Oh, on, on day 30 of their 86 day shoot, um, he decided he wasn't quite happy with this part of the script. So they're going to read, they're going to redo this, this scene and they've changed it up. And it's like, well, yeah, but now nobody looked over it to make sure it makes sense with other parts of the script. Like when we talk about like it doesn't like this doesn't make any sense with what happened earlier. Um, so that but it also can can work against the director because, you know, I'll let you. Do you have anything else positive you want to say about the movie before I jump into my biggest gripe? Uh, no, I, I think I'm ready to kind of be a little more critical of it and, and maybe the albeit few areas <laughs> that it, it may be suffered in. Uh, what do you got? I, according to, to David O. Russell, this was intentional and all that, but I absolutely loathed some of the lighting effects and the, he used a, a certain film that caused whenever it is developed, like you get more rich, darker blacks. And I guess some of the silver in the film stays out, which causes like these high contrast things. I'm like, I despised it. I thought it was kind of all over the place because it's not consistent. He doesn't use it throughout the entire movie. It's just in certain scenes. I couldn't understand why he used it in certain scenes. And even the use of like slow-mo, all I could think of is like, this is an example of when you got like a kid in high school or anybody when they first get like a software and they find out you can use like the predetermined effects that are in a program and they just start throwing them in there willy-nilly because they think they look good, but they don't make sense in the movie. It's like, oh yeah, it looks cool, but this makes no fucking sense. And I definitely thought there are parts of the movie that suffered from that, where it's just like, I don't I don't understand why we have the super contrast lighting, what, what we're trying to, to suggest or convey here. Um, I did really like the slow-mo and kind of like the, I don't even know what you call that style of... So what, the sky? Not, well, the sky was cool. Again, that was one of those that's cool, but I'm like, is it supposed to convey, like, in their minds, time is moving much faster than it actually is? I didn't know. It's like, it's a cool shot. I don't understand the fucking purpose of it. But no, when they first get into the, the gunfight in the village, it's like there's only a few bullets shot. Everything's very disorienting. He does that thing where it's like, it's a slow motion where it skips frames, so it's kind of, like, jarring. And I'm like, oh... 
to me, thematically, this makes sense because in this moment, everybody else would be very like confused what's going on and trying to figure out the situation. So I'm like, oh, it makes sense as the audience to kind of have, you know, be in that situation feeling that as well. Outside of that, though, a lot of it didn't make sense to me. And even I think he talked about like David Russell, like this is his first chance to really do an action movie. So he tried some action stuff like I love the movie. But even as I'm talking about, oh, you know, the jazz, like it's nowhere else in the movie, but it's really great here. The movie does feel like it's a bunch of different set pieces that are, for whatever reason, weaved together, but, like, by themselves, do not... They're, like, it's not the same movie. It's, like, he shoots the movie differently in different parts of the movie, which is very interesting, but for some reason it works in this instance. Yeah, so... I think we're going to key on a couple of the same things, but this one I knew we would... To your point, it just seems very random when he decides to do things like it, it, it almost feels like I know you mentioned that he does not suffer from like, oh, we need to change this part of the script, uh, you know, on day 80. But it did feel like, like you said, that he was using software and like, oh, I figured out I can do this. And then he would do it for like three days of shooting and be like, OK, that's out of my system. Maybe tomorrow I'll try slow bow. Um, it just felt oddly placed. And then anytime I like something like I, I really love the shot of the sky moving over his head. I, yeah, I don't I can't. It's a beautiful exactly shot. Describe what it's doing. Yeah, it is. a. It's yeah, basically your point. It's a bird's eye view looking up at Ice Cube and then he's standing there. But the sky looks like it's moving like there's a bunch of clouds and it looks like it's moving like at seven times the speed. Like it's just flying by. Okay, yeah, thank you. I, I could not figure out a way to just describe that, uh, even though in theory, if you're listening to this, you probably watched the movie. <laughs> um, in, in that case, I also, the vibe I got was like, oh shit, it's really gone to hell now. It, it gave me a sense of like the weight of the situation bearing down. I don't know why the sky moving really quickly and vibrantly makes me feel that way, but that's kind of the... That's the impression I think he was trying to give with that shot. But then, OK, it's cool. And then we never see it again. Um, the other thing I did not like at all, and I'll be interested to see what you feel. I did not like the let me show you the insides of a person and it looks kind of cartoony in a way. I did, It took me out every time that happened. Well, again, it's one of those where like, as <laughs> as we're saying, that felt like that belonged in a different movie not this movie like the conversation is fine yes. but like the whole anatomy shot i'm like that's the only time it's ever used it's used once to describe the worst kind of wound and then it's used again when troy gets shot and they're explaining how like the lung is collapsing on itself and i'm like we didn't need to see this visually like i feel like you talking about a lung collapsing is is a pretty easy thing to understand even if you don't understand the medical field it's like it is again it's one of those like it's he's an art house guy with a huge budget. Why not? Let's throw it in there. Let's do it. You know, we, we can build a dummy, you know? Yeah. It, it, you know who it almost felt like? It felt more Wes Anderson to me. A little like bit. If Wes <laughs> Anderson did something like that, I would see it. But in this movie, it's just so out of place. And I think you keyed on it as well. The action in this movie, for the most part, is not 
not anything special at all. And you can tell that that David O. Russell is not an action director uh, because say what you want about like a Michael Bay. Uh, I don't think he's a good director, but I think if all he ever was in charge of is doing the action scenes in movies, he'd be great at it. David O. Russell is the exact opposite. So, he's not going to give you a good action scene, but his script, all that shit will be tight. So I didn't notice, notice this until I read on it, but I don't know if this lends to why you think that, but Apparently, in most action movies, when you have an action set piece like a helicopter exploding or a truck fa- truck falling over, it's shot from multiple cameras and multiple angles. That was not the case in this movie. Almost all of the action scenes, if not all of the action scenes, were shot with a single camera. So you don't see yes. the multiple angles. You just see the one hit. And I don't know if that might be the reason why you, you were not as satisfied with the action set pieces is because they took a, a one-camera approach to it. Yeah, I was actually going to say it didn't ever feel dynamic, and that's the exact reason. Yeah, if you're only operating with one camera, you're not going to be able to do the fast-cut action that became so popular, I, I guess, right around this time. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, um, but yeah, those those are small things. It's just I, I would have loved at least one action scene where my my – heart raced a little bit i there was none of that for me here yeah i'll agree yeah the the action pieces were just again to kind of move the story forward um yeah i I wouldn't say that there was a lot the the characters are way more compelling than any of the explosions that you're going to experience in the movie yeah because even like my favorite action set piece in the movie is when the tank shows up and they get the hell out of there and they uh, launch gas at them and then the truck flips over. That was the closest the movie came to being like a really dynamic action movie. And but even then, I I think in the hands of an action director, that scene would have been super fucking cool, it, especially after the gas lands. Mm, yeah. And what's funny is my favorite action scene in the movie is actually probably when the milk truck um, explodes. Um, I think a because there's also a comedic element to it where you're not expecting that like when you're seeing it you're thinking it's going to be a gas truck but even then again when we're talking about a tight film the woman talks about needing milk for the baby and then the milk truck explodes so you're just like it's one of those things where like okay ah uh, it's funny because well, it explodes you're like and they basically get covered in milk and you're like they're like it's milk and you're like why the fuck is it milk and you're like oh no they they established this they like Five minutes ago, the woman said that they needed milk for the kid. This is a milk yep. run. This makes sense. I have no problems with it being a milk truck, you know? Well, and can I give a quick pro tip to the uh, the drivers of that milk truck, RIP? Uh, maybe don't be laying on the horn as you're entering the village. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and maybe just try to get it as close as you can instead of eating AK-47 bullets from 300 yards away. It, it definitely feels like they were trying to say, the brakes are out. And you're like, why are the brakes out? Like, why are the brakes out on the milk truck? Like, we can't stop the milk truck. It's coming in hot. <laughs> get those babies yeah. ready. And I mean, uh, this movie, you know, takes a lot of shots at America. I wonder if uh, those Iraqi soldiers went on to become police officers in the United States because they shot those drivers probably 94 times. I'm like, I think you got them. Well, even to that point where I'm like there, I felt like it was definitely being implied that the a lot of the brutality of the soldiers was learned from the U.S., right? Because, again, you have the police brutality video 
right before you Ooh. right before you watch them beat the absolute shit out of the rebels then in addition to that you know when the torture scene comes up you watch the two guys with the car battery like they're they're uncomfortable watching mark Wahlberg get electrocuted and then right after that the you know our our main torture guy is when he says like oh you know we were trained by u.s soldiers i'm like oh shit like no they're definitely trying to make a commentary about like a lot of the brutality like i'm not gonna say they didn't have any brutality but i definitely think there's a commentary about like a lot of the brutality that they have learned was from the u.s yeah was it was americanized brutality you know yeah, man, that's interesting. I, I kind of was just making that comment as a joke, but it, it tracks uh, in a big time way. Yep. So you got anything else that you uh, you, you want to talk about before we jump into Chop Shop? Um, All right, I, let's do some Chop Shop. No, uh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, I do just quickly want to talk about the range of uh, I won't say quality, um, maybe ruthless ruthlessness level. Uh, the chart, the Iraqi soldier chart. So the most brutal guy in the movie is clearly the guy who shoots a mother in her fucking head mm-hmm. in front of her kid, or maybe the general that gave the order yeah. that uh, George Clooney kills. Yeah. That dude seems fucking brutal. Uh, the, the comic relief guy, sort of the torturer that my main man, my main man, uh, the big bummer, dude, fuck <laughs> the big the bummer. bummer. Dude. Man, we don't want to get to the big. I, uh, dudes, I absolutely love. It. He had some of my favorite lines in the whole movie. Come on, dudeski, tell me we don't want to get to the big bummer. <laughs> yes, I really just. I've only seen this movie maybe four or five times. I've seen his that scene about a hundred. Mm-hmm. That's a YouTube standby for me. But uh, back to my original point, he, he still was very brutal. Uh, despite being funny at times. Mm -hmm. Um, And then probably all the way down at the bottom of the list, it's the soldier who's just worried about getting his Levi's out of the bunker. (laughs) Do you remember that scene? Because even that, I I, I wasn't sure again, is that commentary about like, they're there to steal gold is the American treasure, but to the treasure to the Iraqi soldier is Levi's, something we take for granted. Like that was was worth him stealing. If he was going to take something from Saddam, he took a shit ton of Levi jeans that was trying to get out of there. Like, denim was his gold, you know? Which, I, you know, that is, like, literally one of the things that America is most known for is is the blue jeans. I know I don't know if anybody listening plays the game Civilization, but uh, you can get an, a culture victory uh, over another empire, and the empire will, like, talk shit about you and be like, everybody's wearing your blue jeans and listening to your pop music. <laughs> and what is this movie... They show the jeans, and it has a whole line of dialogue about the King of Pop. Yep. But yeah, I think that's uh, that's it for me as far as uh, complaints. Uh, they're few and far between. I just wish it was a little bit more action-friendly mm-hmm. in the set pieces. Yeah, a little more action, and maybe cut about 15 minutes out of it, and I, I think it would be a, a stellar movie. Well, it's already a stellar movie. I think it would be better if you did that yeah i i would move it into maybe like a a, a, a one tier higher as terms of like classics mm-hmm. all right dude uh, yeah what's next all right dude let's get into some chop shop <laughs> all right you would you want to you want to start us off or do you want me to start us off 
well, I, I, I'm going to ask you to, because honestly, I don't have, I'm going to kind of lay out uh, kind of a pathetic week attempt this week. So hopefully you got something good for the people. All right. All right. And feel free to chime in. You know, this is, this is a group, group effort here, the think tank. All right. Actually, let me just get my joke off real quick. What I would like to see instead of this movie is I'm not into the whole celebrity boxing thing, but I'd like to see one of the Paul brothers just beat the shit out of David O. Russell. Like that's that's the only person that could be more hateable. That's just a side piece. That's that's bonus features on the DVD. That's that's not a job shop. Yeah, I see him in a UFC cage. I, yeah, I just want to see David O. Russell get his ass beat. What, what would happen? It. What would happen if they got into that match and like David O. Russell puts his hands down and just starts screaming and berating like one of the Paul brothers, and they just like they kind of like back down into the corner, and he just he defeats them with his words. Yeah, you know he, he Godzilla's got atomic breath, <laughs> and he's just got. Uh, uh, verbally abusive language. <laughs> He's got that sharp tongue, dude. I don't even know if it's a sharp tongue because I don't think it's ever like clever, or, like harsh. It's just him being a total fucking dick and yelling. Yeah, all the wit that he puts in his scripts, I something tells me when he gets worked up, it just kind of becomes uh, <laughs> one to two syllables and lots of four letter words. Yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, please go with your chop chop. What do you what okay. do you have this week? So here's here's what I'm thinking. All right, as we've said before. A lot of Chop Choppers, we like to try and take parts of the movie, right, that exist. We don't want to completely scrap it, you know. So I'm thinking the, the, the beginning of the movie can stay pretty much the, the way it is up until we get the gold, all right? But I want to see an alternate timeline here where they get away with the gold, all right? They don't, they don't wind up driving off the road and into the mines, all right? Okay. But here's where the twist comes in, all right? So they make it past. They don't get taken down by the tear gas, um they get away from the tank and all that they go and they drop off the refugees right a lot of them are loaded up in the humvee and in their gold truck all the refugees get across the border we wrap that up the first uh you know the feel-good moment in the in the first uh, act of a three-act movie here but what's that sound travis okay. kind of kind of sounds like cooing is it is that a baby in the back of the gold truck Oh my God! Uh, all the, where is all this the refugees are gone, though, Travis. The refugees—they who left their baby here? All right. So after a little bit of dialogue, after the the these four characters, our four soldiers, you know, have some witty Brad. banter and all that. Yeah. Real quick, quick question: this this hypothetical movie, your your chop shop. Did you give it a title? Yes. Okay, then I don't I don't want to spoil what I think it is. <laughs> I bet you know what it is. We'll, we'll see. Is, Write it down on an envelope, uh, okay. lick it, seal it up, mail it to me, and then in a couple weeks when I get it, we'll open it up on. <laughs> we'll we'll see. We'll see if if you get uh, it. Okay. All right. Uh, type, go ahead. Yeah. Type it in the chat. I'm not gonna look at it, and I'll see if you were right. All right. Okay. So okay. So they find a baby. All right, in the back of the gold truck. Well, they after some 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 discussion, they realize it can't be any of the refugees that just left. They wouldn't have left their baby. So they've got this. Why, where did this baby come from? So they decide they have to take it back to the village. All right, that they just came from. On the okay. way back, hijinks will ensue. 
you know, at a certain point, Troy is still going to wind up getting captured and brought back to be tortured and interrogated. All right. The same speech is going to okay. happen with our, our main interrogator guy. All right. With a small caveat, he he talks about his wife losing her legs and the worst part about the baby being crushed. But somehow we're going to allude to the baby never being discovered. Or he's just going to be talking. He's not even. We're not even going to scrap that. We're not even going to do that. He's just going to keep talking about how the Americans have 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 taken his child from him. All right. And Troy in the audience, the way we're going to write the script, are going to assume that his 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 child was killed in a bombing or something like that. All right. And at a certain point, while this is going on, we still have the other three trying to break in to the into the vault again to get Troy out. At some point, Conrad is going to wind up uh, in a body bag with an actual corpse because they're trying to sneak him in. Uh, that's going to be really funny because he's going to have to talk about the, sne- the smell. And then when he gets out, he's going to do that really exaggerated, like, get out of the body bag. <laughs> um, but we're going to cut back. Uh, we, we can even say, like, this is a, a touch of the hangover, you know? Like, at some point, like, Conrad's our comic relief. He's our, he's our, uh, our Zach Galifianakis. He's going to have to be carrying the baby. Uh, probably... And he's going to have to learn to appreciate, you know, the the Iraqis and all that because he's going to become attached to the baby. So that's where we're going to have a growth moment for him where he's not going to call him, you know, this is, it's because it's in the movie, but like towel head and all that stuff. <laughs> like it's, you know, he, he's going to learn to appreciate them much like he kind of starts to do in the movie um, being around the refugees. So Troy winds up realizing, oh, my God. We have the interrogator's baby. That's whose baby we've been carrying this entire time. So he's frantically trying to tell him, like, we've, no, 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 you, we got the baby, we got the baby, and all that. Right about that time, that's when the other three break in. Uh, you know, there's going to be a rustle, or not a rustle, goddammit, a wrestling. You know, they're going to have to wrestle the weapon away. Troy's going to stop Conrad from, like, killing the guy as he's frantically talking about, that's my baby, that's my baby, because now he's, he, you know, he recognizes his child. And there's going to have that moment where, like, they give the, the child back. Everything winds up being okay. They still have all the gold. The movie is basically going to end with uh, them still having... The reporter's still going to show up at some point. They're going to have to give all the gold away, except everybody has taken. At some point, they were talking about everybody needing to take a gold bar, uh, to take bouillon for themselves, right? Everybody grab some bouillon, right? right? So the movie is going to end... Right with our three kings taking out their gold bouillon, and Conrad is going to take out some soup rations, and he's going to do the line about, I thought we needed the chicken cubes! And then that's how we're going to get the three kings without having to kill Conrad. That's that's my chop shot. Uh, you certainly put a lot more thought and effort into yours. <laughs> um, now, are you going to reveal your title? What What do you think the title was? Three kings and a baby. Yeah, three kings and a baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done, well done. Yeah. So that was that was my chop shop. Was three kings and a baby. <laughs> oh God! For a moment there, I was really nervous that in your chop shop you were going to have uh, them dumping oil down a baby's throat at some oh, God, point yeah. i don't know when they when they find out it's the interrogator's baby then they torture the baby <laughs> all righty well i guess with that we can move into our, our our next segment we're gonna go market value all right 
What do you think the budget for this movie was? Ooh, nineteen ninety-nine. You you made several references to a large budget. Yes, yeah, so it was, it was, a, it was um, so a larger I'm budget. Say, I'm gonna say thirty-eight million. Seventy-five million dollars. Oh, was what David O. Russell was given to make his military masterpiece. What do you uh, what do you think it pulled in US? He stole some of that money. Yeah. You know, what do you think it pulled in US? And this is total run. Mhm. Not just opening weekend. Um I'll say 112 million. About 60 million. Ooh. 60 and a half million. Ooh. Ooh, what do you think? So it was a flop domestically. Yes. What do you think? Do you think worldwide? And I'll tell you this: it was banned from being played in Iraq. Worldwide, what do you think it was? So just the worldwide. This is this is, this is cumulative total? worldwide gross. So this is U.S. plus what it made in the world. What would it be? Um, seventy-eight million. The world, the world liked it about as much really? as we did. Yeah, it was about 108 million. So, oh, okay. So it, it did. It made that, its money back globally. So, I'm I'm curious what the marketing was like uh, in foreign markets. Like, did they lean more into, hey, we're going to kind of make fun of America? <laughs> because <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, you know, practically speaking, if I if I live in Spain, I don't much care to watch fucking the u.s military run around and steal gold you know yeah it would be interesting i don't know where i would go to find what each country's breakdown was because cumulative worldwide like i said they what about 50 million yeah so they were they almost matched what it made in the u.s yeah, that surprises me. I'll have to, just for my own this, interest, look into that. And this is another one we talked about. It. 99 was a, a crazy year for film. So you wonder yes. if this had come out in another year, if it would have done better, or if it was just there was too much. Like, I would love to see... That is a very good I would love to see point. if 1999, like, how much money that year made. Just cinema period versus other years. Just knowing how many amazing blockbuster movies came out that year, you know. Cause, yeah, I mean, not just blockbusters, just great movies mm -hmm. in general. Yep. I'm uh, actually looking up what it opened against because it opened September 27th, 1999. Uh, so feel free if you have some tidbits to fill here for a moment. Yeah, the opening weekend, it made about close to 16 million was its opening weekend so okay but uh if you're ready we'll go ahead and we'll get we'll get this thing registered we'll do a tagline oh yes absolutely absolutely all right here we go are you um, ready so you want to ex you do want to explain it real quick to the oh, people you know what it he is? knows it you knows it so for those okay, are okay. our He's new a listeners uh we're about to get into uh, you know license and registration uh i guess it's not license and registration is it? it's just registration uh we're gonna get a tag get tagline here so i'm gonna give travis three taglines one is the tagline for this movie 
one is a tagline for an adjacent movie, and one is a tagline that I created myself for this movie. Travis's job is to pick out which of the taglines is the authentic real tagline for Three Kings. Are you ready, Travis? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. Your first tagline is the gold standard in liberation. <laughs> that's oh, that's clever. Your second tagline is every man fights his own war. And your third tagline is in a war without heroes, they are kings. Oh, I Ooh, I like I like two of those very much. Um, do you want to do you want to take one out, or are uh, you saying you 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 like them but you don't know which one is it, or are you thinking that you know one that is not correct? I think my favorite one is not correct, and I'm gonna say it's not the gold standard in liberation. Okay, you do not think it is the gold standard in liberation. I do not. All right. I love that, though. So, okay, and what was the second one? The second one was, every man fights his own war. And the third one was, in a war without heroes, they are kings. I think that's the tagline. Final answer? Final answer. All right. You are correct. In a war without heroes, they are kings is the tagline for three kings. And... that was my second favorite of the three. Every Man Fights His Own War was for Jarhead. It, ah. And the gold standard in liberation was my own. <laughs> That's... Cut that out of the podcast, Brett, because somebody will take that. <laughs> yeah, I knew. I was like, That's too good. Like, Because show me the movie that that is the tagline for, and I will watch that movie based on that and that alone. <laughs> So uh, this movie did have two other taglines. If you, it one of them is I hate I hate when movies do this as a tagline when the date. Oh no, this isn't one with a date. Okay, it must have been. I was looking. I looked up Black Hawk Down uh, for an adjacent one, and I think it was like something happens Christmas Day, and I fucking hate when a tagline has like launches on Halloween or whatever. But so the other two taglines for Three Kings was they're deserters, rebels, and thieves, but in the nicest possible way. And it's good to be kings. Uh, that's simple. I like it. Yep. But it's no gold standard in liberation. <laughs> I will say. I bet you. Hmm? I bet you it wouldn't have done as well outside the U.S. markets if, if that were the tagline. <laughs> Maybe not. That, that would piss some people <laughs> off. Because I, I think the Middle East is about tired of getting all the freedom that we keep forcing <laughs> upon them. That's another thing. I'd actually like to see what taglines were in other countries because you know they've got to be different. Like that was a big thing that I guess they ran into with I think it was Star Wars was they were creating spoilers in American markets because people would translate the Japanese taglines. And I think the Japanese taglines were like they would give a little bit more of the plot away than the American ones. So like I, I'd, I'd be interested to see what the the taglines in foreign markets were but uh yeah no i'd, I'd be very yeah like i said the the marketing in in other countries would be interesting to me um just because i brought it up earlier and, and just want to circle back the top 10 grossing films of 1999 
uh, we'll start number 10, the Blair Witch Project. Oh my God, really? I mean, that does, I mean, if it's grossing, yes, because that made, that cost nothing to make. Yeah, grossing. Oh, no, no, no. I think this is, no, this is just domestic gross. Uh, The Blair Witch Project made $140 million. Number nine was Runaway Bride. Number eight, The Mummy. Number seven, Big Daddy. Number six, Disney's Tarzan. Number five, The Matrix. Number four, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Uh, Number three, Toy Story 2. Number two, The Sixth Sense. And number one, you look just like Darth Vader, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Yeah, '99 was just what a what a tough year to launch a movie. You know, I mean, you were yeah. just—I mean, that was the top ten. That wasn't that doesn't include everything else that came out the year. That was just what a what a crazy yeah, I'm year. Sure. I thought American Beauty was also '99, but not that that's important. Mm. Uh, but yeah, what else you got, sir? That's it. I, the last thing we need to do is, you know, how do we recommend this movie? Is it a watch? Is it a known? Is it a, a void? Where where you land? Where do you where do you see yourself with this one? So I, I think for me, it's it, it's definitely a known. In fact, I watched it via my Blu-ray copy, um, so I, I clearly believe it. Um, other people's mileage may vary. Um, I would say. Uh, little, little 2D Jose, little Travis, uh, when he watched this in 1999, well, I guess I was 14, so I wasn't exactly little, but, uh, uh, I wanted to either be George Clooney or fuck George Clooney or <laughs> just, just drink his bath water. If he can send me some George Clooney was the coolest motherfucker alive. Um, so this, it's an automatic jump up. Anytime Mark Wahlberg is the second most charismatic person in a movie, you know it's a, it's at least a fun movie to watch. Yeah. So absolute own for me. Uh, if you appreciate any of the main actors, I think it would be an own for most people. It's it's funny you bring up age. I don't know what my parents were thinking because they let little 12-year-old Brett watch this movie. So I don't know what the... Because <laughs> like, I know we I didn't watch it after it. Like, it wasn't... I'm sure we went and rented it at, like, Blockbuster or Hollywood Video or something like that. So I'm like... Nope, they they let me watch this movie with. I'm sure it was one of those like hide your eyes or earmuffs or something like that. But I'm like, huh, there is definitely, I guess, with the exception of you're introduced to George Clooney with him fucking a rival reporter. And one of be nice to be Archie Gates. Honestly, I the start of the movie, I think, is the most probably egregious aside from maybe language, because you see. Mark Wahlberg kills the guy. I guess they do the flashback where somebody says he popped his head up, but like Mark Wahlberg shooting the kid in the blood being everywhere and Archie fucking the reporter, I feel like are probably, it doesn't get much worse in terms of what you'd show a 12 year old from that than that. Well, I guess that's wrong. The woman getting shot in the head was pretty bad. I take that. Ignore yeah. everything I just yeah. said. Yeah. The more I think about it, I'm like, nope, there's definitely, there's definitely points in the movie. You're like, Ooh, Ooh, yeah, maybe probably not. Yeah, that look at that tiny that you know, that seven year old girl mourning the death of her mother who's just freshly yeah. bleeding out into the sand. Yeah, and it wasn't a shadow. Oh, yeah. It was like you got to see like I think if he could if CGI was better, he would have put the bullet leaving her skull if he could have, but he had to just deal with the blood splatter instead. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I mean like you said, fine for kids. Yeah. No big deal. 
Um, like, hey, this is what it would look like if mommy got shot. But yeah, so I would also own this movie. I thought I owned this movie when I went to go watch it. I was like, I thought I, I didn't have it on Blu-ray, but I thought I had it on DVD. And apparently I cleared out a lot of my DVDs a while ago. And I guess this is one of the movies that it was sacrificed to the, the goodwill gods. But uh, I will probably pick this up again. Um, it is a little long. Like I said, I, I regret how long it is, but it is it's a fun movie to watch. It is good. For, yeah, for a two dollars, very, very quotable. Yeah, it was very quotable. If for it was two dollars for the HD rental on Amazon, it is definitely worth two dollars to at least watch the movie if you have not already. Yeah, I, it's one that I would recommend to just about anyone. Yep. And, and the and the good thing too is I, I think a, a certain demographic of a war movie is just not a genre that they might enjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, I, I think. Probably one of the reasons that this movie was not more successful is I think people assumed it was just another war movie. Um, so, yeah, if you know anybody that would be hesitant to watch, it's like, oh, I don't just want to see three hours of fighting. It's, it's not that movie at all. Well, and it's also not a heist movie, I would argue, because typically the heist movie, the heist does not happen until the end of the second act. And that's when the heist is completed and something goes wrong. And then they have to basically solve the the error of the heist. Um, you know, classic fast and you know fast five. You know when when they have to to try and escape with it, and then the movie ends with you know typically them opening the vault or something like that and showing all the treasure. The heist of this movie is pretty much done in the first what would you say, maybe 30, 45 minutes. Like the heist ends the first act of the movie, and then it's not a heist after that. Yeah, and I mean, it really doesn't even feel like a heist. It feels like just a smash and grab. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, a heist would imply there's a clever approach. It's not really a clever approach. It's just, hey, America's here. Give us the gold. <laughs> yeah. um, and you know what? I, I, just to key on one other scene that I forgot to mention, uh, just as the way other countries see the U.S., when George Clooney is trying to convince the guys <laughs> to give him the cars, mm -hmm. number one, hilarious scene. But it's funny that he's literally doing like the, hey, we can bring peace and unity and you know freedom to Iraq, assuming that they would just get so worked up about that that they would be like, yeah, take the cars, even though you literally have like $20 million of gold with you. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, once you break us off a couple of bars, yeah, freedom, great. How about just money? <laughs> Give us the money. <laughs> yeah, so I just thought it was interesting, you know, the Americans come in, rah, rah, and yeah, that the, the shit is, is falling on deaf ears there. Infinity only. No Lexus, infinity only. <laughs> All righty. Well, with that, I think we'll go ahead and, uh, and wrap it up. Right. Well, uh, Troy, <laughs> Troy, this is a badass haircut, man. <laughs> Troy did this haircut. <laughs> yeah. You give, give, a, give us a couple seconds of Conrad on, on the way out. I think yours is much better. Oh, boy. I can't. I've, I got to try and think of more Conrad lines. Give, give me a couple lines. And I'll oh. Put me on the spot. Oh, why don't like you that. just do that, 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 that racist one about the quarterbacks? I'll just I'll just send this off with Conrad, you know. Have a good day. <laughs> Have a good one. Four soldiers occupying Iraq in the aftermath of the Persian Gulf War embark on a hike. <laughs> did I? What did I do? <laughs> 
Aftermath. Aftermath. 